Welcome to episode 78 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy features conversations in Canadian theatre with artists of all stripes, from actor to director to playwright and more. If you want to drop me a line, I'd love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest this week is playwright Maureen Gautieri. Maureen's newest play, Odd One Out, will premiere at the 2017 Toronto Fringe Festival. The show is called Odd One Out, okay. and I have been working on it for four years now. Is that is that the writing? Of the it? writing of the it. The writing of yeah. it. Yeah, um, I sort of exited theater school and kind of took some time to be a regular human being again. That's a, that's just like thing. how long ago did you? I mean, we're going to jump around. It's a conversation, yeah. not a, not an interview. Yeah. How long did you leave theater school? Uh, I graduated in 2012. Okay. And I was there for three years. And what school? National Theater School. National Theater School? Nice. In Montreal. Nice. Cool. So I had, like, the usual, my understanding, the usual thing of theater school, where they, like, break you down and make you again. Yes. Plus, being an Anglophone in mm-hmm. French Canada, I was kind of bombarded on all sides with, ah, oh, this is so new, who am I now? Yeah. You know? So I had to take some time to be like, I'm going to go to the grocery store and yeah. buy some olives like a normal person. I kind of wonder about that whole theater school break you down and build you back up thing. Uh, I understand the concept of it, but in some ways I think it's, it's become, it's bullshit, um, quite frankly. Sure. Um, I think that, that there's some things that they, they need to break you of, like mm-hmm. your bad habits as yeah. an actor. But some of them approach it as I break you down. And right. then it's fine if they build you back up again. But some theater schools are not so great at that. Mm-hmm. Well, with my experience, I, mm-hmm. I went for the playwriting program. Okay. So there was more of what you described. Where it was like, let's sort of keep you as mm-hmm. you who you are and have been in the world up until now. And then just like take apart what is not working. Mm-hmm. But even then, like if you, if you have crutches, sort of like they're there for a reason. Right. And sometimes having them pulled away, uh, even if you feel prepared for it, mm-hmm. is like terrifying. Yeah. Well, crutches are crutches. Are, I mean, it's like that that thing if you like break your leg, and you're you're used to the crutches, and then one day somebody says, "Okay, walk without the crutches." Yeah. They're gone. It's so it's a really apt. Uh, metaphor because yeah. you put your foot down you're like I don't even know if I remember how to walk with these things and, but it's great and it's mm-hmm. progress and you're like cognitively yes this is mm-hmm. going to happen but like your leg muscles have atrophied a little bit mm-hmm. or like you're a little unsure yeah so uh, yeah that was a little bit of, of my experience coming out very positive mm-hmm. but just um, that kind of uh, focus and tunnel vision having to, to be a regular person yeah. again was a bit of a project how so. long did that take? How long did it take for you to feel like a person again after graduating theater school? Um, well, I think there was sort of a, a trend among the, the people who I still am sort of friends with and in circles with, um, who, who have graduated the same. It, t- it takes about three years, like the amount of time that you're mm. in, <laughs> when mm. you come out again. And I found in my experience as well, like there's still some vestiges where I'm... I'm uh, still trying to reconcile my identity as an artist, which mm. was so supported there, yeah. with uh, hello, I have a regular job now, mm. and I'm trying to like. Mm. I don't think that's something that nobody ever talks about in theater school. Yeah. Is the Joe job and mm-hmm. the importance of the balance between the Joe job and the and the artistic life and things like that. Totally, it's hard to learn how to balance those because you can go too far into the work life because there are people who demand things of you. Yeah, then you have to find a way to. to have a space of time that's yours mm-hmm. that nobody, nothing else touches. Yeah, we had, we had a class in the business of mm-hmm. playwriting, which was like how to apply for grants and how to be uh, like copyright and sort mm-hmm. of all that stuff, which was great. But that was sort of predicated on the idea that you would sort of be doing this full time. Yeah. But yeah, not having the skill to um, balance the two sort of states yeah. is one that I, I'm still like learning. Yeah. Um, I think it's a constant engagement sort of thing, yeah. trying to figure out where that falls. Do you have a full-time job outside of writing? Or I do. do, you, do you, yeah. yeah, I yeah. just transitioned to a full-time yeah. job after having several years of like working three part-time jobs at once. Ooh. Weird hours. That is that must be so hard. <laughs> like just to 
to because I know every part time job I've ever had, they're all like, I am just as important as your other job, and you're like, but you all want me to do the same thing. Yeah, how do I balance this? And it's it's the new economy, right? Like this is what yeah. we have inherited. Like you, everyone yeah. has a full time job, but they're just mm-hmm. making it up out of x number of yeah. part-time gigs yeah. so sort of exiting that world and going into like a steady paycheck mm-hmm. i have dental <laughs> oh man is, Those, that, isn't that like suddenly like this life-changing thing it's crazy like, benefits yeah i can like, like write off massages yeah. now <laughs> what the hell because i have to sit at a desk forever and yes. just like type yeah. and mouse and my right yeah. side is like mm, i had ages of like before I learned how to use my mouse responsibly, where I would just like come when I'd finish a week and I'd be like, I can't move my oh, my wrist. So I learned a different way to do it. Yeah. You know? um, have you been able to find, in terms of the uh, navigating the full time job and the artistic life, that you're able to carve out time that's yours, or is it hard to make to make that balance work? Um, it's it's a little bit difficult because um, the full time day job that I have is um, in customer service, mm-hmm. which is quite taxing, and mm-hmm. the personality um, style that works for customer service and works for writing like I can toggle between the two but it takes a lot out of me yeah so it's a different circumstance than I'm running all over Hell's Half Acre trying to make different part-time jobs like I do have the time but being able to switch into that is has been difficult and over the past couple months especially working on this draft of the fringe show um I've needed to bring a lot more energy to the writing that on some days I just couldn't do you, I mean, in terms of the, the customer service, is it a call center or is it something a little better than that? Uh, it's, it's mostly phone-based, um, but it's, uh, I sell tickets mm-hmm. at a large okay. arts organization. That's cool. So yeah. it's kind of a combination of sales and incoming right. calls, yes. and yeah. I'm in a quasi-managerial position, okay. so um, the people who get angry at the people who immediately yeah. answer so the phones... Will yeah. sometimes get transferred to me, yeah. and so I'll have to put out a little bit of a fire. That's a, that's a, a tough, that's tough headspace to occupy, and then leave. And I know I worked in a call center. I worked at Chapters Online when it was just Chapters, and then through the Indigo trans transition. Right. And uh, that was like to be artistic after a day of people yelling at you mm-hmm. was like that was like so hard. It's yeah. I mean, not just energy wise, but um, being okay with like the human condition wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, this is sort of difficult for me to, to kind of parse in a positive way, but mm. it makes it difficult to like people sometimes. <laughs> yes. And if you don't like people, how can you uh, understand them? How can you um, access their stories? How can yeah. you have an imagination surrounding people's lives? Yeah. So that is a, a, a harder balance that I'm trying to strike to. I find with my full-time job when I'm in the writing thing, if I... If I don't have just over, like a little over an hour, like if I can't carve out like an hour or more to write, like I can't do like a half hour of writing because it takes right. me like that half hour to shake off yeah. everything to be able to just sort of like, oh, this is where I am. Mm-hmm. So it needs it needs time to be able to get to that point. That's so true. Like uh, I've tried to do yeah. to write on my lunch sometimes. I can never <laughs> write on my lunch. It's not enough because you end up with like, okay, so now I've got my lunch and now I'm eating my lunch and now I have a half hour and that's just not enough time. I hold my laptop all the way here yeah. and now it's the pressure. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's difficult. Um, in terms of the, now, I mean, we've, we've sort of talked around it. You mentioned it a couple of times. So the, the Friends show, mm-hmm. um, and then, sorry, the title again is... Odd One Out. Odd One Out. Yes. Okay. So can you tell me what that's about? Sure. Um, well, it comes from sort of two different streams that I, I kind of mashed up in my brain. Um, it is based plot-wise on um, a book called Odd Girl Out or not based, inspired, uh, written by Anne Bannon, and she is known as the queen of lesbian pulp fiction. So she wrote a whole bunch of, like, super pulpy, like, full of swooning and, like, really awesome tropes in the 50s. Uh, And one of these uh, books, one of the, I think it was the earliest one that she actually wrote um, when she herself was, like, 21 years old and a young mother trying to figure out her own sexuality Mm -hmm. and give a vocabulary to it, about uh, two girls in a uh, women's college in the eastern sort of seaboard area of the United States who fall in love with each other and Mm -hmm. have no real context for it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, like, 1951, and there's no real word for what they're experiencing. Right. And, um... And then there's a whole bunch of like, oh, swooning and love and things, and um, a man gets in between them, 
And uh, I thought this was a really interesting sort of um, kind of world to work in. Like, I really like the sort of like middle of the 20th century sort of repression thing going on. Uh, and out of that as well, like my twin obsession with this, uh, this sort of era is uh, stories of alien abduction and like UFOs. Okay. So I took this book and a sort of urban legend story about an actual girl, an actual uh, woman at a, a women's college in like Vermont who disappeared in something called the Bennington Triangle. Okay. And uh, her di- disappearance was entirely unsolved. So I took the characters um, from this book and kind of created new ones and sort of followed the, followed the story. Mm-hmm where uh, there are two women who fall in love with each other at this college, Mm -hmm. and then one of them completely disappears, possibly under paranormal circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, So the questions that are brought up with this are, uh, what does it mean to lose someone Mm -hmm. um, in a mysterious way, Mm -hmm. and to not have answers about it, Mm -hmm. and to try to create your own answers and your own story to explain it Mm -hmm. when you don't have anything in the real world mm-hmm. that that can mm. explain it so um, and I'm, I'm gonna as a writer sort of geek out with you uh, for a little bit because sure. I love how when you're writing things various things and various obsessions come together to form a singular thing yeah. and so you're taking like one thing and mashing it into another thing I think we do that all the time as, as writers um, I'm curious what was the start like what was like what started the, the play and how did it, the alien abduction thing come into it? Like, did that come later? Did you know that that was going to be part of it when you started writing? Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the mystery of it, the, mm-hmm. uh, the alien abduction sort of part of it was there very early. Like mm-hmm. what, I think if I had to boil it down, my chief inspiration was the story of Paula Jean Weldon, who was mm-hmm. this girl, this 18 year old girl in 1946 who disappeared uh, while hiking on a path mm-hmm. in Vermont. And the Vermont State Police were actually created, funded by her father, who was a sort of wealthy industrialist, to to find her. Uh, and they never did. And she, her disappearance was the first of, I think, five over ten years where people in that national park just spontaneously dropped off the face of the planet. Huh. So um, I, I went online and I printed off her... Um, the poster that they had created in order for people to like know her handwriting and know her height and she had a vaccination scar and Mm -hmm. this is her hair color and I put it in my workspace right up on my like poster board Mm -hmm. um and just yeah the mystery that is centered in that one person who's no longer there Mm -hmm. um and the idea of the the Bennington Triangle as though or a Bermuda Triangle Mm -hmm. instead of ships that disappear it's people right and where do they go right um, and it's very likely, like factually speaking, that she met a terrible end at the mm-hmm. hands of a, another human being. Right. Um, but there's always that maybe. Well, if you never, if you never find a body, yeah, there's no answer to the question. Yeah. yeah. And people in that area reported like strange lights and weird things going on for forever. Mm-hmm. And just, I think it's very, it's very theatrical and it's very. Um, sort of mythical that the possibility that there is an alternate explanation Hmm. um because the theater is not really a place for the factual right it's a place where like you have that tiny little that little nugget of hope and you're Mm -hmm. trying to you're trying to hold on to it yeah um so maybe she did get abducted by aliens Mm -hmm. and would that be fantastic given the alternatives yeah yeah (laughs) um so it sounds like that's where it started and then this other book came into it or did they like sort of gestate together? Um, I think it was sort of uh, at the same time, but I was, my interests are kind of scattered all Mm -hmm. over the place. I never know when they're going to collide. Yes, yeah. So I think I had seen like a YouTube interview with Ann Bannon and I was like, this is an awesome lady. I want to read her stuff. Yeah. Um, And then I did and then I was like, whoa, connections. This girl was in Mm -hmm. college. These girls are in college. Ah, space aliens. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny how these things come together. Yeah. And you said that you were writing it for, like, four years? Yeah, on and off. Yeah. Like, this has sort of been my main project, again, as I'm slogging through, like, three part-time jobs, right. etc. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a very slow gestation, but I feel like that has um, given it depth. Mm-hmm. 
I think, I hope. The question that I, I have, and this is purely selfish, because I, I wrote a, a play for like eight years that uh, <laughs> no I way. performed like last, last year, The Hamilton Fringe, and I really only finished it because I'd gotten into the fringe. Right. Suddenly I had like this thing, oh, now I have to finish it. Because until then it was like, I can continue to write and do this Was thing. it actually eight years? Pretty much eight years on and off. Wow. Like, much like you, like eight years on and off. A lot of it was like tied up in different... I different feel so much better here. now. <laughs> That's awesome like, it was, though. was like eight years of like coming back to it and putting it away and coming yeah. back to it and letting it evolve and change. Um, what was the state of this on the night of the fringe lottery? Was it almost finished, or did the lottery give you a kick in the ass to finish it? Uh, well, I had entered the lottery. I'd been kind of been in a pact with an active friend mm-hmm. of mine where we'd both enter the lottery, and then mm-hmm. whoever got in, we would work collectively on whoever's sure. project. Um, and then this year, I didn't check in with her, and I, it was like two days beforehand, and I was like, oh, I didn't, uh, I'm just going to enter it, because statistically, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no chance. Yeah. Um, and then got in, yeah. um, which was great, but also terrifying. Yeah. The kick in the pants thing is a great um, yeah. physical metaphor for that. Um, it's, it's sort of hilarious because the play at that point had, um, I think, ten characters, mm-hmm. nine characters, um, played by eight people. Um, and then once the reality of it hit and I started talking with this actor and we were like, let's work on this together, let's find people, um, it became increasingly obvious that this wasn't feasible for a fringe sort of situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, in a dramaturgical way, they were like, can you cut uh, the characters down to three and just shunt all this other fantastic stuff Mm -hmm. Into one of them mm. and really boil down what the actual thing right. is about because I had done a lot of sort of like world world building with like oh this is what it's like in the fifties and this mm. woman is married and yeah. she, her husband says these things to her and like mm, misogyny which is all well and good but not about the central mystery which is right. what this was really about so um, yeah the kick in the pants happened and then mm. it was like I had a couple months to. Even though everything was there, I felt like I was writing a different play. Right. Yeah. Um, just distilling and peeling away and and strengthening, um, having dark nights of the soul. <laughs> Why am I doing this to myself? Uh, and to some degree, like there's still um, there's still a small piece that I need to sort of finish, like one scene and then a couple tweaks. But it seems to be there now. I I've, I find that there's this. When you get into the fringe, when they call your number and you're in, there's this elation, and then like a half hour later or so, there's like, there's this sinking feeling that you're like, now I have to do this yeah. thing. I didn't even go to the draw. I got the email because I was like, I'm not gonna get in. I'm not gonna haul them all my way downtown and just sit there and be sad. Um, and then I just got an email while at work. I have <laughs> gone for so many years. I've entered so many years, and I've gone. And I think I'm done. Yeah, because <laughs> I think I would much rather not be there for that disappointment. I can't even imagine how stressful. Yeah, it's just like as the numbers come up, you just like, oh, mm. just like grasping onto something and like, oh, that one's close to mine. Fuck, what does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, so many things, and you're in the room with all these people doing the same thing, and just like they try to make it fun, but it's not fun. It's not helpful. It's too stressful. It's great that they have that transparency, though. Yes, it's very helpful. To have that openness and... If you've never been there, um, the transparency goes like beyond just like having people there. Like, mm-hmm. If you go early, they give you a stack of numbers and say, please count. Oh. So, and you're going to sign this to say that you counted to make sure that all the numbers were there in this category. And so various people go in and they, they sign for it and they confirm that the numbers are there. That's awesome. And then when they draw the thing, they have put them all in a bin, they cover it with a blanket, the person puts their arm in and they don't even look. There's <laughs> so much, there is so many people who are like, oh, it's fixed. Same people get it every year. And yeah. So they've gone to so many lengths to try to make that mm-hmm. uh, as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. But it's just so stressful. And yeah. Because the odds are just so against you as the artist. Yeah. The people, somebody has to get in, but it's so hard to be there and just like watch those numbers go. Yeah. No. Um, so, kick in the pants. Uh-huh. You're in the fringe. Yes. Um, 
And so uh, you're talking about the, uh, the the funneling a whole lot into into the single character. Mm-hmm. Um, is it like aside from that? Like, can you if you were to compare the first version with this version, are they completely different animals now? Um, that's sort of a tough one because I feel like a lot of sort of preparatory work mm-hmm. went into sort of the first iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like on my gut level, once this is uh, complete as an experience and I have kind of like processed like what is actually important about yeah. this story, what is theatrically interesting to other people, I would like to go back to the previous draft and see if mm-hmm. I can restore some of mm-hmm. what I would in theory in the future know is um, story-wise is important in there. Um, I feel like the previous uh, sort of draft had a little bit more breathing room Mm -hmm. too. Like the 60-minute slot is um, one that I feel is not um, one that I can write to easily. Mm -hmm. I need a little bit more length, just a tiny bit more. Yeah. yeah, they, they are quite different. 60 Minutes is a really difficult one because you kind of have to make, like, you need to fit everything in. It's kind of like this breakneck, mm-hmm. like, just racing from start to finish to get within an hour for some shows. Yeah, which it can be great because it really just, like, distills everything down. But yeah. then also it's, I think it's a format that is very much festival kind of, yeah, like, is. oriented. Yeah. And um, having to wedge things in is something I want to avoid. But then I've also seen a lot of shows that fit into the 90-minute slot that just don't need to be 90 minutes long. Yeah, that's true. So it's like there's some in-between spot. Mm-hmm. I think 75 minutes is it okay. Um, I can see something stretching out there, but I've sat through a whole lot of 90-minute shows where I'm just like, you needed to cut a whole lot. But if you have all that time, you exactly. should use it. And, well, I usually, like, I've done, I've been in the 90-minute slot, and we just go for like 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. You just need that extra yeah, just a little, just a little bit more, yeah. just a little bit more. Um, yeah, but I do, I do think that the the previous, um, the previous draft is something I would like to return to and see. Now that it's been tested, sort of. For just a great way to to test stuff like that. And yeah. To like, get it seen, get like immediate feedback. I kind of wish that the Toronto Fringe wasn't always looking for hits and was a little more forgiving about um, experimentation. (laughs) It's so high stakes, but also so low stakes at the same time, sort of weirdly. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, it's supposed to be pro-experimentation. Yeah. And it gives a lot of lip service to that, but I don't know if it's the media, the way the media looks at it, because the media and everybody's always looking for the next Kim's Convenience, the next Jazzy Chaperone, the next... My mother's Jewish, lesbian Jewish weekend wedding. Mm-hmm. They're looking for the next big thing, and so it's hard to like experiment when there's all this pressure to be polished, mm-hmm. which is a tough one. Yeah. Um, but it, it's always interesting to like learn so much. Um, I'm curious as a, as a playwright and choosing to write for theater. Um, when did you know that theater was something you wanted to to write for or to be involved in? Um. <clears throat> Well, I think the very uh, the very earliest inkling was when I think I was like five or so. Um, my parents took me to see a production of Cats, which I totally loved, um, and is apparently not. I haven't revisited because mm-hmm. apparently it's not all that good, and people are kind of like mm, Cats. Uh, but I had a blast as a yeah. five year old. Yeah. But the coolest thing about it was that my dad was, I think, working as a carpenter backstage for this production so during intermission we got to go back and visit Mm. and we got to meet like McCavity and we got we got to like touch his wig (laughs) and I remember um leaving the theater that night after we'd seen the second act and been blown away by it that I remember leaving the theater and thinking real people do this yeah it's not it's not magic it's not something that is unachievable Mm. by a regular person and I was like this is really cool my dad does it these people do it I could do it too um, so that was like the first real inkling of it mm-hmm. and uh, I've always been sort of a story writer mm-hmm. just a story writer not even yeah. a storyteller mm-hmm. even since that age so I think that kind of funneled in like through the usual channels like falling into the drama nerds in high school having a mm-hmm. great teacher who let us write plays for like any reason whatsoever mm-hmm. Uh, going into university, keeping the enthusiasm going with like um, 
self-producing your own stuff in the university context and then um, hopping into theater school once I realized this was serious. Yeah. Um, were you writing stuff before the high, falling in with the, the high school drama nerds or were you, uh, like, were you like writing for theater, were you writing stories at that time or, or was it when you fell in with the, the theater gang that you started writing stuff? It was more once uh, once I fell in with um, the theater because mm-hmm. of this fantastic teacher that we had, Mr. Lynch, who was like, this is how you write a play. Mm-hmm. And um, having that sort of experience with the training wheels on and doing the Sears Drama Festival, which um, was amazing because he let us do everything. Whereas other schools, they would have like, oh, Moliere wrote this and we'll do the translation. Right. But from top down, it was our, mm-hmm. our thing. So having that raw experience in sort of a in a in an area where in an arena where um we had that guidance too mm-hmm. like i became familiar familiar with the idiom right and um i think i was maybe 14 when i wrote my first play mm-hmm. on my own like i spent my summer vacation writing a play about a family where their the grandfather the patriarch was dying right <laughs> which is kind of like reflective of my life experience mm-hmm. up until that point yeah um, and when did you decide that, like, you, you, were, you mentioned that you were in university and then you went to theater school when you, mm-hmm. when you figured out that it was, like, serious, which you were saying almost <laughs> like, like it was some kind of, like, disease. Yeah. yeah. I found out that playwriting was serious, and so I had to go and do something about yeah. it. Um, how did you figure out that it was, uh, that it, that it was serious? Um, I think it happened in university because I saw other people that I had worked with kind of going off into other streams like this is a point where you become an adult Mm -hmm. and you choose to stop fooling around with whatever you have been fooling around with Mm -hmm. and uh, like become an accountant or Mm -hmm. take up a trade Um, and I realized that I had not had enough Mm -hmm. like the little tastes that I had had up until that point were um, had increased the Mm -hmm. the itch rather than calming it so um I wanted to find some place where also the um, I had enough academic background. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go someplace where I could be taught mm-hmm. to the same degree um, the practical aspect right. of it. Inst- what, what was your major when you were in university? English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like the, you went for doing the bachelor bachelor's degree, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a major in English and a minor in history and women's studies. Mm-hmm. So very, very employable mm-hmm. after that point. <laughs> so I thought, why not go into theater? Well, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, what else are you going to do with the... the what is it? It's the, uh, the Avenue Q. What can you do with the BA in yeah, English? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. It really spoke to me, that musical. Well, it spoke to a lot of people, <laughs> I, I know. Um, so, I mean, the National Theater School um, doesn't take that many people. So nope. that's like pretty cool that you that, that you got there like it, in terms of the playwriting program how many playwrights does the theater school take in a year um they are uh taking they took two people mm-hmm. per year um and sometimes during the course of the um the, your schooling there one would potentially leave mm-hmm. uh, and they would not replace that person mm-hmm. so our class like we would do multi-year classes was never more than six mm-hmm. um and I'm not too sure what the application rate was, but right. it was very much a, a, a tight knit kind of group, which yeah. is really awesome because you got awesome. to know everyone and you got to know their work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a very intense experience. Because the the NTS in terms of the theater, the acting program is a sort of a conservatory thing. I have more of a concept mm-hmm. of what that is having gone to George Brown uh, as a college, which has more of a conservatory, but I have no idea what a playwright uh, uh, program would look like for three years. Right. Um, were you in doing stuff with the actors? Were you doing movement classes and things like that? Or was it uh, right, right, right all the time? There were there were definitely movement classes. Like we were, um, we sort of uh, created a kind of a hive mind, I think, with mm-hmm. our, act, our acting mm-hmm. year. Um, especially in first year when it was like, we're going to turn you into something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Be together on this. Uh, so we would do um, movement classes and jeu and mask and other things that um, the program director, I think, had determined would be great for us as writers. Mm-hmm. Other things um, like voice and stuff were not super no. important. Um, 
but anything that would sort of inform what we were going to be doing, which was great because up until that point, I had been just like typey, 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 yeah. thinking about eighteenth mm, century English comedy, uh, and now it was like, oh, I can put on a mask and see what character comes out of this, and then write a monologue. That's really cool. Yeah, which That's was really so cool. foreign to me. What did you find it like being like a playwright among actors for such a length of time? Um, a lot of times, playwrights. In fact, a lot of times, with in a lot of theater situations, the playwrights over here they show up at the beginning of the rehearsal process. They go away and then they show up again at opening night. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of interaction with with the actors. Did you right. find um, was it what you expected? Did it uh, did you find it difficult to? Well, you may know you had uh, your time with the theater nerds in high school, so you had yeah. some kind of uh, theater. Uh, experience there, so I'm not sure what I'm asking. So. Okay. Oh, well, just well like, I did. I did sort of have. I, I did come coming into it sort of have mm -hmm. a bit of a basis in performance okay. because I think I not to generalize, but I think a lot of people see actors and they're like, oh, this is the way that you. This is how you get in. Yeah. This is the. This is the easiest mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So like I took a ton of improv at the Second City and I right. could hold my own sort of mm -hmm. with them and sort of understood where they were coming from with right. their like emotions. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, which made it easier to work with them once it became actors over here, playwright over here. Right. Um, yeah. Understanding sort of what they needed from me and being able to mediate that through the director or whatever mentor mm -hmm. we happened to be with. So yeah, I kind of knew their vocabulary in a way mm -hmm. and understood where they were came, coming from. That's good. That's good. Um, and so you finished in uh, 2012? Yes. And uh, did your uh, cycle of three or more part-time jobs for a while, um, all while working on uh, this play. And now that it's now that that play is happening this summer, mm -hmm. um, how has the process been of like making it real? Like, are you directing it? Is your your friend directing it? Like, what's the what, how how is that process working to take it from the page onto the stage? Right. Well, at the moment, um, I'm still very much. I am a playwright. Mm -hmm. I'm in. A, this deep dark hole typing things I will throw pages out and hopefully they will flutter to the appropriate people mm -hmm. at the moment um, but no uh, the we have a producer mm -hmm. which is fantastic That's good. because the last time I did the fringe I st stayed up until two in the morning putting together press kits mm -hmm. and God help me if I never have to do that again in my life I will be so happy absolutely and he is amazing and the director is amazing. Um, her name is Krista Colosimo. She is transitioning, I believe, from a sort of an acting background into directing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she read one of the parts at a private reading mm -hmm. that we sort of arranged last year. And then was like, I would like to try to direct this. Mm -hmm. Just a matter of finding a venue. And nice. then the fringe gods were like, Pff. Nice. So really jazzed about that. Nice. Um, and the friend that I had that pact with, mm -hmm. the fringe lottery pact, has been um, helping me dramaturgically, mm -hmm. which is, uh, she's been super, super helpful about that um, because she has, she's got a great um, seeing, seeing the forest. She can see the forest while I can just see the trees. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is that how that statement, that yeah, saying no, goes? Because that could be, that could be so hard because sometimes, that, I mean, that's why a good dramaturg is so important. Yeah. Because as the playwright, you see certain things mm -hmm. from a certain point of view and you need that outside eye to sometimes say, actually, this is what's happening. Yeah. It looks like this is what's happening. And that's a hard thing for me to have gotten used to, and it has taken a really long time because mm -hmm. I came from, I have done an English degree, right. where I would do that to whatever novel or whatever mm -hmm. thing we were reading. So it's super hard for me to turn off that kind of editorial, like, right. this has to happen here, and like, themes? Mm -hmm. I hate themes so much because they're like always there in my mind, and I just need to get rid of them and be like, what are the characters wanting to do? Yeah. I always have this... Uh strange relationship with the idea of themes because every writing book says know your theme and I'm like well, how do I know the theme I haven't I written the thing yet no like how it's there but yeah but I don't think I, I don't know I, think, I don't think I have to know it I always think that's something for the director to figure out really you know okay like if somebody wants to know what they're like I know what I think it's about but the director's going to make up their mind anyway <laughs> about what the theme is and I'm okay with that yeah I'm okay with that. I just want to write shit. Mm -hmm. you know? And that is the great thing, though. That, and I think that is why I've stuck with theater as opposed to mm. like writing poetry or like fiction or whatever. Mm. Because 
those are very um, those are places where you need to know everything yeah. <laughs> and I'm very happy being like this is my contribution mm-hmm. and now we will create something that will only be complete when other people get involved to make it yeah. and we put it in front of other people to watch I love that aspect of theater and yeah. writing for theater like I don't even have to write stage directions if I don't want to. Like, because somebody's going to ignore those yeah. or, or do what they want anyway. You don't care what this person is wearing, yeah. what their mood is. That's an actor thing. Actor Just give them the words. You go What's away. Like, it's, I'm not Tennessee Williams. Like, it's, <laughs> there's a chair. And somebody else will decide what that chair looks go like. Go nuts. Yeah. I love that. That it's like this complete collaboration that yeah. can only exist once all of the pieces are in mm-hmm. place. The flip side is it's kind of terrifying. Oh, shit, yeah. But yeah. that state of good terror is mm-hmm. one I aspire to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the best case scenario, the good terror. Where yeah. Everything is going to fall into place, and it's and and it's gonna like it's gonna be terrifying because this has never happened before. Yeah. And it's you know there it is, and then everything works out. The bad terror is when they're like things that don't quite work mm-hmm. or whatever. But as the playwright, you kind of have to just learn to let go, which is the hardest thing. So yeah, so difficult. Yeah, <laughs> working on that every day. Well, I think I think anybody who writes for theater is working on that every day because mm-hmm. I don't think it ever gets easy to write a thing and then see something not quite something go bad with it. Mm-hmm. When you don't have a like your part is done once it's written most times. Yeah. Um, yeah, because have you, do you, when you see something that, that's uh, being performed, something of yours that's performed for the first time, like, what's your mood going into that? Like, uh, fear, excitement, combination, I want, you want to throw up? <laughs> um, well, I actually, I have not had a, a production that has mm-hmm. really been putting me in a negative emotional mm-hmm. space. Uh, I don't know if that's because I'm lucky, mm-hmm. or if that's just, um, mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. But um, I think excitement is probably a good word for it, mm-hmm. um, and good terror yeah. in in a, in a perfect world. Yeah. Um, there will always be, I think, things that are like, er, it's not quite what I saw in my yeah. head. But um, that is part of that is part of it. Like I think I think I might have to um, hide under something mm. sometimes. My girlfriend and I refer to that that feeling that you were just describing. We call that uh, scared sighted. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, um, right. When you are afraid but also excited. Yeah. Um, and I have that almost every time something I'm, I've written or created is performed the first time. Wow. A bunch of times, like just being like like in, I remember a few times with. Uh, a company I worked with, we'd create a show and then we, we'd perform it for the first time and I would just be, like, before I would go on, just, like, terrified, waiting for, like, that first laugh, like, something that's going to, mm-hmm. like, show me that, that it, it works because we don't, yeah. we think it works in the room or whatever and, like, that feeling of, like, I've done all this stuff, now only I and the people in the room have experienced this thing so far, now what's going to happen? Yeah. I think... I've only really had one experience where my emotions have kind of gotten away from me or I feel like I had the emotions of an audience member watching for the first time Mm -hmm. of watching something that I had created. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, that was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the emotional engagement, if I can get it as close as possible to what Mm -hmm. an audience member is, is feeling like that uniting is, is extraordinary and something that I kind of aim for. Yeah. Yeah, it's really exciting when that when that happens, like when everything is firing all cylinders, including yeah. the audience, when the audience is like right there. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Like I knew this character was going to die because I had written it, mm-hmm. but in the scene where she was going to die, mm-hmm. like I felt my heart going, and I yeah. was like, this is theater, man! Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so have they given you a venue yet? Yes. Uh, I'm, I don't think it's confidential or anything. Yeah, this, is, this won't be going out in Jelly right before Fringe. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. We're going to be in the Tarragon Extra Space. Oh, that's a great space. I am that's so good. excited. Yeah. I used to work there as a co-op student mm-hmm. when I was like 16. And so I have like this long-term, like mm-hmm. precious place in my heart. And the Extra Space is great. It's yeah. flexible. It's small enough that mm-hmm. you can, it feels full if like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's it's close enough that you can get into, you can really get into people's space. Yeah, I love a, I love a close, yeah. close space like that. Plus they have a patio. 
What? Which, yeah, it's that they. I think they should. They haven't had a patio for the past couple of years. Oh, shit, yeah. They have the patio up front. I thought you meant like some kind of backstage patio. Oh. Oh, no, no. I'm no, talking about talking like about people that? who are like, yeah. let's have a beer while we think about seeing this show. Yeah. Oh, how about this one that is yeah. mine? <laughs> I always find like, that one is so, like, there's the there's the factory mm. patio, which is like so spacious and like there's all this space and it's like an enclosed area. And then it always feels like the tarragon patio is like just like on the street. Yeah. Which it is, um, but it's a great spot to like find people. And, yeah. And, like, grab something before the before and it's the not a place to settle too much like whenever yeah. I go to the factory patio it's like let's spend a couple hours here yes. talking about what we just saw yeah and the, the the tarragon one is just like hop yeah and then off again yeah so high turnover I think yeah. it's, a, it's gonna be interesting because the tarragon was a great location to easily walk to to the Mervish space right which is gonna be interesting this year now that everything is changing what with the new the new fringe tent space. Yeah, they're going more like downtown centralized. It's on Richmond now, right? Uh, Scatting Court, I think, which is, I oh, think it's okay. uh, Bathurst and Dunbar's? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Which is central to a bunch of other theaters. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's different. You know, we we fear change. <laughs> um, so have you, have you cast the show yet? Uh, yes, I think so. I got an email saying we mostly have a cast. Okay, that's so, good. So, yes. That's good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm really, I'm really, the thing that I'm most excited about this is that uh, the important relationship in this play is between the two women. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it is emotionally up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I feel like there's not an awful lot of um, visibility for relationships like that, mm-hmm. um, especially like women-driven ones. Yeah, like this is a very female energy mm-hmm. kind of production that I'm putting together that I'm really excited about because I'm kind of tired of a certain amount of broiness. Yeah, no, <laughs> that I, I can yeah. see. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and that's the case in like society in general, but in a lot of art forms too, where I feel like um, a little bit of a marginalization is going on. So yeah. I'm excited to see what the two uh, the two women mm-hmm. involved are really bringing to this. And also, the third yeah. character is a male character, mm-hmm. and uh, the actor that we have for that I know um, acquaintance wise right now. And that kind of triangle is going to be so yeah. interesting. Cool. I think it's funny you're, you t- the 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 whole like. We don't see these kinds of relationships. We don't see enough women, for one thing, on our stages. We don't see enough plays written by women mm. on our stages. Uh, so it's important that, that, that those do happen. It's great that it's happening at Fringe. We need to see it in other places, too. Yeah. Um, just uh, Is this some, the kind of thing that, like, when you're having discussions at NTS and you're talking about playwriting, do they talk about diversity? And they, do they talk about uh, the voices that we're seeing on stage and how to make change? Or is that even something that, that comes up at all? Um, I don't think it came up in sort of like a, we're going to sit down and talk about mm-hmm. this, but the guest artists that they always brought in and the 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 work that we were doing was very conducive to diverse voices, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like after the stripping down and the building back up mm-hmm. again happened, there was sort of a creation of, of an ideal world yeah. within the school. Mm-hmm. Um so you could leave and be like, this is something I want to recreate. Right. Yes. Way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we didn't have any sort of direct, like, this is the, the issue and stuff. So um, after theater school, I joined the Playwrights Guild and kind of got involved in their whole equity and theater kind mm-hmm. of thing going on and learning, actually learning hard stats about how few women are produced mm-hmm. and yeah. what positions they, they are hired for mm-hmm. in professional productions. Yeah. Uh, just staggered me. Yeah, it should. And it's not a, like not not acceptable. No, you know, it's something like less than twenty five percent. I can't remember. It was a couple of years ago that this stat was less mm. than twenty five percent of professionally produced plays in Canada were by women. Mm. And the only the only <laughs> the only um, positions that they have any parity or um, surpass men is in like the mom positions in in my mind, like the stage managers right. and yeah. wardrobe, which are kind mm-hmm. of like. Cleaning yeah. up after other people and doing sewing. Yes, yeah. And that is, while it's great that those wonderful, wonderful people 
are employed. Mm-hmm. It's just like who who are the artistic directors? Yeah. Who are the directors? Why? Well, you know, I mean, just to just I mean, we can call out. I mean, you look at some uh, the factory. Mm-hmm. Factory right now is led by women. Women are led by a woman of color. Yes, that is such a rarity in Canada. And I, I often think, like, how do we make other theaters do that? Mm-hmm. How do we make the other theaters in Canada, like, present Canada on their stages in a way that's not just, like, a bunch of white dudes with the occasional woman? Yeah. You know? And I don't know, I don't know how we do it. And I don't know how, as a theater community, we do that. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the factory has got it right in that it's sort of like a trickle down thing mm-hmm. like if you can if you can get if you can get yourself in a position of i am making decisions about things because mm-hmm. the way it was sort of very evocatively broken down at this equity and theater conference i mm-hmm. went to was like uh, the people making decisions at the moment are 60ish white men mm-hmm. like artistic directors and things and yeah. so this kind of amorphous, I'm going to program my season with something that resonates with me. Right. Like, emotionally. Like, you can't really define what that is. No. Um, so you can't put, like, you can't put sort of equal opportunity yeah. on, on it. Um, and what is going to resonate with them are stories that they recognize yeah. that are in, in them. Yes. Which is a completely different it is. beast. It just, like, it, the onus is on the boards who do the appointments to make changes um, otherwise, I think, you know, I mean, there's a backlash against uh, can, can stage for its lack of lack of diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the kind of thing that, you know, all of our theaters need to be held accountable for. Mm-hmm. But the boards ultimately make the decision about who's filling that position. And if the boards are made up with old white men, yeah. they're going to appoint old white men unless yes. they want to actually see something that represents Canada. Yeah, the hierarchy just keeps going up and up and up, and yeah. I'm just like, I'm just a playwright. I'm just. Can you just read my play? Uh, that, I mean, it's really it, good. That, I mean, that, that is that is the trick when you're a playwright is the is how do you get people to read your play? You know, um, I want to change the world. Well, yeah. I mean, but that's. I mean, if you end up self-producing, that's another way to change the world. Yeah, right? is to be like, if you look at somebody who's like change sort of the face of the way that indie theater works Kat Sandler uh, from Theatre Brouhaha mm-hmm. uh, she and her team have like really made some serious change to the way that you know that theater can be successful without necessarily grants or without um, like you have a, a woman a strong woman writing great plays yeah. directing sometimes and you know writing some great stuff and, yeah. and that's you know with indie we can do that it seems in a better way than some of the established theaters can. Mm-hmm. But you, I don't know, like your example of Kat mm-hmm. Sander, like she is a machine. Yes, she I is. I don't know how do you how do you do that? Um, she is a machine. Yeah, and I, I've, she's, she's insanely prolific, and she's, like she's talked about it, and like I think that she when she latches on something now, she latches on something and, and sort of like uh, has more of an idea, like she talks things out with her team with like Tom McGee and mm-hmm. Danny Padgett and then they and then she has a better idea and like she writes pretty quickly she is a machine yeah. she's like but that's like a personality okay. thing yeah. or like a like a like where is the room for someone who has, spends eight years mm-hmm. or four years on a single thing and mm-hmm. is like here you go I think I actually think that, that one gets to the point when you're writing as a machine you start mm-hmm. with the one and then, as you write, you write more. You finish this thing, you write the next thing. So you um, say it's like a practice I thing. I think it's a practice as thing. Opposed I think to it's practice. It's not just, I mean, you can be brilliant, like she is, and, mm-hmm. and, and write uh, play after play after play. Uh, but I think that there's also practice. Like, just you write this thing, and right. maybe the next thing becomes diff- uh, easier, and that, and so on and so mm-hmm. on. I think deadlines help hugely. Right. Um, like if you just say oh, I'm going to write a thing you can meander around that for a while but I think that they Theatre Brouhaha makes a choice it's just we're producing this then and then you got to write it you right. got to make it happen I totally see where you're coming from mm-hmm. but my 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 soul is like mm. oh I know <laughs> oh shit just I a know. little bit more space just like uh, just a little more time oh, yeah. a little just to let it resonate you oh know? yeah I mean you can make I mean you can Put yourself. You can set yourself a, a, a real terrifying deadline. Um, I did. 
uh, this year. Um, but what did you do? I decided I was I didn't get into Fringe, so I was going to do the show that I did at Hamilton. But since I didn't get into Fringe, I I'm just going to do something on my own. I booked Red Sandcastle in November, and I haven't written the thing yet. I'm in the process. Wow. Okay. Why did you do this to yourself? Just because just you were because like deadline. Like a deadline. Absolutely. A horrifying. A horrifying deadline, deadline of of. Hopefully, awesomeness. But we will right. see what because it, it's still like in the. I have. I've given myself till the end of the summer to write the thing. That's plenty and of then, time. Oh sure, <laughs> sure. And then I look at the calendar. I want to die. But yeah. like that's going to be interesting. It is, yeah, it's like going to be like a, a, a sprint. Yeah. Um, and some value can definitely come out of that. I'm really glad I didn't do my first idea, which was to do one play in the spring and then one in the fall, which would have been just stupid. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm glad I talked myself out of that one. There's <laughs> too much there. No, you need to, like, sleep and yeah, eat. Yeah, exactly. Mostly sleep and eat. Those not are the two cry. Things, not cry. Well, crying is probably going to happen anyway, but, you know, that's just the writing process sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you just got to build in some time there. Yeah. A good hour yeah. or so. Are you, in ter- for, for this show, How uh, do you know how involved you're going to be in the rehearsal or anything? Or are you just going to, like, write your thing and stand back? Uh, what I would love to do, like, I feel like this, this pass that I'm coming up to, where I just have to fill in that one scene and then do a couple tweaks, mm-hmm. uh, will be great to, like, present to mm-hmm. the guys. Um, but I would love to be in the rehearsal hall as much as possible, mm-hmm. because I feel like, again, with the whole, like, collaborative thing and coming from sort of a quasi-performance background, I feel like something will come out of that mm-hmm. that will strengthen what I can write. Yeah. And if we can make that, like, officially part of the script, mm-hmm. that would be super cool. Mm-hmm. I'm really stoked to um, have these characters out of my head mm-hmm. and have them embodied in real people yeah. and then see what they see in them and right. the characters through them will talk back to me. That's really that's a really interesting way to look at it. That, like, you've written, like, a skeleton of the character and these actors are going to put flesh on it. Yeah, or like uh, the characters are as fully formed as I think I can get yeah. them, but like they may see something, they may latch onto a personality trait yeah. in one of them that is completely buried, or I thought was, yeah. and then find something awesome in that. So. Actors will always do that. That's yeah. one of the, the amazing things about like writing a thing and then giving it to somebody to make their own. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to. I would love to observe that mm-hmm. and see if I can take some of that and then reincorporate it. In yeah. the actual text. Would you do that with this iteration, or would you like take a note and then like do that for later? Um, probably a little column A, a little column yeah. B. Like whatever will improve the thing that we're working on right now for the fringe. Cool. I am one hundred percent behind. But then also if something crops up and it's like, oh, this character that used to be another character, mm-hmm. maybe I can take what happened here and put that back into him. Mm. That would be pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I just want to absorb as much as possible from this experience. Cool. It's been a while since I've had a production, so I'm quite, quite thrilled. Well, that is exciting. That is really exciting. Yeah. And the Toronto Fringe is a, is a great way, great place to do it. Great place to put work out there. Mm-hmm. No, Thank you so much for, for talking with me today. It's oh, been great. Great. <laughs>